Hello and welcome to the FT Advisor podcast, the weekly podcast series brought to you by FT Advisor. Each week, we'll be joined by a guest from the industry to discuss the most pressing issues of the day. I'm David Thorpe, reporter at FT Advisor. Joining me today are Ben Hammond, Platforms Director at consultancy firm Altus, and down the line from Edinburgh by Mark Till, Managing Director for Digital Solutions at the Aegon Platform. Good morning to you both and thank you for joining me. Morning, David. Good morning. The past decade has largely been a positive news story for platform land, with buoyant market conditions, pension freedoms and demographic change all boosting the assets under management of the advised platforms. But 2019 was a year of heightened volatility and a wave of consolidation. So do platforms need to evolve to survive? Ben, 2019 saw several merger and acquisition deals. What do these types of deals tell us about the state of the platform market today? Well, I think overall, um, it's that, well, I suppose a couple of things. One is that um, people from outside the industry are starting to take a bit more of an interest. Um, so you've got various IPOs, et cetera, happening. So there's obviously just external investors, um, you know, anything from members of the public to some of the bigger funds and other institutions taking more of an interest in the market and, and wanting to, you know, snap up a portion of those firms. Um, there's then been other sort of pieces of investment. Um, so either people like Embark, you know, going out to the market um, and getting a conglomerate together to further invest to allow them to expand. That's one thing. But you've also got private equity firms um, sort of starting to have a poke around in the market as well. So there's been um, a couple of deals throughout the wealth management industry. So you've got Epirus buying James Hay. You've got um, another firm buying uh, Harwood as a wealth manager. There's, there's a few of that sort of deal happening as well. So I think overall, it's that people are paying a bit more attention to the industry, seeing what the future might hold, because traditionally, it's difficult to make a profit in, in platform land. Some some do very well. Some have never done very well and have then you know exited from the market if you look at people like AXA. So I think it's 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 positive news for the industry that it is being seen as, as somewhere that um you know people can invest their money for the future. Thank you, Mark. What are your um, what are your thoughts on on consolidation and the state of the market? I think I'd agree with some of the things that Ben was saying. So for me, the market over the last three years has been a similar story, which is this is a sector where at the moment virtually all the players are suboptimal in size. They're all a little bit too small. And progressively, people have been coming together. So in 2017, um, it was mainly providers coming together. In 2018, you saw uh, a little bit of IPOing where where platforms that have been around for a while took, took an opportunity of buoyant markets. And in 2019, you've seen more consolidation amongst the IT providers, you know, FNZ buying GBST, for example, but also venture capital and private equity coming into the market, buying up smaller platforms. I think what will be interesting is some of those buyers are clearly in this for the long run, and some of these buyers are, are not. They're here because they see a short-term market opportunity to make a profit. So I actually think that um, you you will continue to see changing ownership of platforms and it'll be people like Aegon that continue to look to participate in this market out over time and not come in, make a profit and then leave the market again. Thank you, Mark. Both you and Ben in your comments have discussed the challenge that some firms in platform land face with making a profit and how some firms have basically never made one. And that comes at a time when We've had those buoyant market conditions and low interest rates, etc. If platforms can't 
necessarily make a profit in those sort of conditions. What does it say about their business models if we do have heightened market volatility and that AUM growth becomes harder to find? Yes, yeah, so I think from my point of view, David, it'd be so if you if you take someone like Aegon, as we've got Mark on the line, um, you know, scale player, um, over you know, well over a hundred hundred billion from their platforms combined, scale has got to be a part of it because that will naturally give efficiencies in certain areas of the operation. Um, but that's not to say that's the only way to make a profit because you've got much smaller platforms, um, you know, the more sort of niche platforms with, you know, sometimes well under 10 billion. So, you know, less than 10% of the size uh, of someone like Aegon who are still making a profit and sometimes more in, in monetary values. So I think scale is definitely something to look at, but it's also sometimes some of the, you know, more... You know, I'm going to call it boring stuff under the hood, but some of the things that you just need to get right as an operation, which people on the outside, such as advisors, will uh, will value. They don't necessarily know that that's what they're valuing, but you know, ultimately, a platform needs to get things right. It's no good having all the scale if things are continuously going wrong and your technology's old and all that sort of stuff. So, so I think it's a combination of the two things: scale, but also getting things right operationally. So, thank you, Mark. What What are your thoughts on that? I mean, is is it just a, a question of um, getting scale and then it works, or is there is there another uh, level beyond that to to become a sustainably profitable business? So, I don't think scale alone creates a right to be profitable. I think you have to be able to operate your business efficiently. At the heart of that is uh, refreshing your technology, which as we know is not the easiest thing in the world to do, but everybody will need to do it and continually do things to keep your technology at the leading edge to be able to cope with the efficiency that is necessary in this industry. I think the second thing for me around um, uh, profitability is having a diversity to your business. So Aegon, for example, works in the uh, retail market, but also in the institutional market, the workplace market, uh, the protection market, and with certain banks and building societies. And, And that diversity that allows you not to be singularly dependent on one market is important. And I think the thing that probably is under Uh, talked about in this industry at the moment, which is the capital strength of the businesses that you're with. History says that the longer it takes for a correction to occur in the market, then the larger the correction that eventually arrives. And businesses that are unable to generate much of a profit when high markets are certainly going to be unsustainable when markets have been corrected. And, And I think advisors need to look a lot more closely at the underlying strength of the owner of the business and the capital they'll have available to them, both to weather uh, the losses that may come if you're marginally profitable when markets fall, but also to continue to be able to invest during a market downturn because the regulator will continue to change uh, the rules and the clients and advisors will continue to demand improvements in the platform. So I think capital is the story that's yet to come through in the platform market uh, in in the eyes of most advisors at the moment. So I'll probably add to that point from Mark, completely agree with the technology refresh uh, and everything else. So going back to the regulatory point, absolutely right. You know, regulation is going to keep coming in in some form, be it MIFID 3 or something else that, you know, the FCA come up with off the back of the investment platform market study, for example. And you've got to be able to have, you know, the capital to make those changes, keep your platform relevant, keep it regulatory compliant, because that's that's what your your, your customers and your clients are, are going to need. And that, that's, a difficult, that's a difficult thing to do. So 
if you can do more and more through the technology or even look at outsourcing that as as the likes of Aegon do do to, to GBST in that case, um, then they're going to take up a lot of the strain. But you still need, yeah, sort of cash on the books to be able to run those change programs and make those changes and, and, and keep yourselves up to date. Thank you, Mark. Will we see in, in the years ahead an increasing divergence in terms of the additional services, the bolt-ons that, that different platforms in Advisorland offer? We have some platforms out there that own or are owned by advice firms, for example, and their sort of vertical integration. Some platforms look at doing their own model portfolio services. One or two are still pure play platforms. Do you think we'll see more and more of that as platforms try to differentiate from each other on areas other than price? I mean, the position that I've taken is that most sectors of, of industry end up in a position where there are three or four very large players serving large parts of the market because there is a strong degree of commonality around what those users want. And I believe that at the moment the platform market is too fragmented and will end up in a similar place. I, I then think... Your, your point is, will there then be significant evolution in what mm. platforms do? And I think the answer to that is yes. I think there will be, uh, there, there will be a significant evolution because I think that advisors will need to, to seek ways in which they service their customers more and more efficiently in a, in a single place. And therefore, those platforms will need to make themselves open to providing a broader range of services, whether they be uh, protection rolled into a, an investment platform, whether they be mortgages rolled into an investment platform, whether they be more decumulation services. I think the smaller players in the market will therefore have to seek to target smaller markets with uh, a slightly more differentiated offer. And that will be as much as anything driven by the fact that the amount of money they have to invest is significantly smaller. So they'll have to target a market where there is a smaller opportunity but, but can use their money um, more in a more focused manner. Is that what we'll see? A, a number of smaller players playing a particular niche and then behemoths like Aegon offering a whole-of-market service? Yeah, I think that's probably a fair summary. I suppose for the for the smaller players, Mark's absolutely right. You know, they're not going to have the backing of a of a larger firm and, and and a more diverse business, such as you know the likes of Aegon or Standard Life or whoever it might be. So you might get some incremental change or um, you know s- small pieces of additional proposition that is going to grab an advisor's attention. So if you take Standard Life's piece about their um, you know their uh, drawdown product that they announced uh, at the end of last year, that's pretty good. That's not been done elsewhere. I'm sure others will follow it, but. That's a big player with sort of you know a smaller change, which which is good. You will then get others such as you know the, the smaller platforms who don't have um, you know the backing of a, of a life company or whatever it might be, who will yeah have less cash in the bank, um, but they're hopefully still profitable. Um, they'll still have to do all the regulatory change, but I guess they've got a smaller range of advisors, so they might sort of focus in on their particular advisor, um, uh, you know, um, book. Um, and say, okay, what do you want? What are the are the smaller changes that we can make? So they'll still have to do some of the bigger stuff, but just providing something to make those advisors' lives easier is is probably going to be where they'd aim. And then, do you think that the segmentation could be in terms of pot size, pot pot of asset size, with with some platforms not really that interested in smaller books? So, in 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 some respects, looking at sort of you know what their advisors would do, then they need to position themselves as to you know, one of the 2.4 platforms or whatever it is that an advisor would use. So do they want to go, yeah, more of a sort of the mass to middle market or are they going to just be high net worth and above? 
positioning themselves correctly as a as a platform with those advisors means you know they can get a good chunk of the book again adjusting some of the proposition or even the pricing will maybe sort of say well we can go a little bit lower or a little bit higher in terms of the you know the the asset ranges that, that we're looking for i mean building on that point i think um i think one of the things that the larger platforms will do um, they'll constantly be looking to improve their proposition and if they see you know, a an attractive play made by a smaller smaller platform. You can absolutely see those large platforms taking that idea, industrializing them, and then probably uh, producing the same output at a lower cost to the advisor using their scale. So I, I think it will be a dynamic industry where where the small players and the large players do do manage to find a way of working together. But progressively, I, I think the bigger players will provide an increasingly more comprehensive uh, solution to the full extent of the market. One of the things we at FT Advisor hear, hear regularly from our readers, from our advisor readers, is the, I guess, the time pressure that they are under. And there's lots of reasons why they're under that. Increasing regulatory requirements is part of that. Do you think platforms can, can essentially play a role in freeing up advisors time in the future and that could be part of a key offering for those platforms that win in the years ahead yeah so uh, i mean david i think that i think that's the heart of the role of a platform in an advisor's business is to remove things that get in the way of advisors spending time with their customers to simplify the execution of things when they come back from seeing customers and 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 providing a service to their customers such that the customer doesn't need to interact with the advisor on a on a frequent basis, putting the advisor in control of when they see the customer uh, and, and allowing them to concentrate on providing better advice and growing their business. So, so I do think you'll see platforms increasingly looking at things that advisors do and say, I can find a way of doing that for you more easily to give you back more time. I think that's absolutely the, the direction of travel. In, in Aegon, we, we talk about doing the basics right, making it easier to use us and then progressively adding value. Yeah, I'd, I'd, compl- I'd completely agree with that. And then I'd, I'd almost take it a step further and say that should allow the advisor to, you know, give, give not just a better service to the, to the end client, but a cheaper service. So if they can do things more quickly, you know, the advice process is the advice process, but actually putting that advice into effect, you know, working with the platform, getting the application through the trades, you know, what, reporting, whatever it might be, platform makes that very efficient. It's less of the advisor's time. It should be therefore cheap, cheaper for the customer. So you know they're getting the same investment result, same product result, effectively, but at a, cheap, at a cheaper cost. So I think that's very important. If you look in the workplace, the conversation that's increasingly taking place with the employees is one about financial well-being, and you're certainly seeing more advisors starting to broaden their conversation with customers to be about things that cause them to worry about money and how the advisor can help them remove those worries and therefore increase their overall well-being and I, and I think you'll see platforms investing in things like that so when the advisor is is with the customer and has more time with the customer they can go deeper into their bigger clients and unlock more opportunities for their business but more opportunity to meet the needs of their customer and presumably if these changes do allow advisors to be more efficient there's an opportunity there for them to take on more clients and perhaps narrow the advice gap. Quite possibly, yeah. I suppose. I suppose the other thing, back to Mark's point, yeah, is is I suppose it's it's not just the cost to the client, but the value to the client. So, 
client could be willing to absolutely pay, you know, for some more advice on financial well-being, not just, you know, getting their ITA invested and topping up their pension, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah, so, so I would say yes to that. Mark, are there another wave of technological advances to come? Is there another great leap forward almost in terms of what platforms uh, will be able to do and what they look like in five or ten years from now? Is is there a lot going on in, in your firm and in, and in the industry as a whole to just test the limits of, of what technology allows? I think you're going to actually see quite a lot of technology advance in terms of the proposition for the advisor and the customer. So I think you'll see uh, more functionality around asset aggregation, the ability to bring customers' money together. I think you'll see more on open banking, more integration of open banking and, and a move towards a more open finance model. Uh, I think you will see more digital interfaces, both for the advisor on the, on the road so that they can engage with their customers in their home, showing things more effectively, but also for the customer to receive more reporting and more understanding of their money so they can see the value that the advisor has been adding uh, over and above what would have happened if they'd have been left on their own. So, so I do think there, there will be a lot of that. I think underlying technology will continue to enhance. I think things like the cloud, uh, APIs that allow uh, different technologies to connect together more effectively, those things will go on behind the scenes. But I think there will be a lot of improvement in both the advisor and the customer proposition over the next three to five years. I'd, I'd agree with that. I think there's there's some things to overcome. So, you know, talking about the different technologies, you know, modern things like, you know, I say modern, um, AP, APIs and um, that sort of thing. You know, not everyone understands what, what they do um, or, or anything else. So it'd be very important to, yeah, in, in the technology world to get that absolutely right, but also a good broad understanding across the industry. Thank you, Mark. You mentioned uh, open banking as, as maybe an opportunity for the future. Will we start to see platforms almost not just be about the financial planning or the, the investment management but also almost personal finance tools is that a way forward i mean i think if you come back to this point i was making earlier about financial well-being i think increasingly advisors will be working across the financial questions that advisors that customers are wrestling with whether they be questions about whether they've got the most accessible amount of cash whether they've got the investments in the right place whether they've got uh, care taken care of, whether they've got intergenerational wealth uh, thought through well enough, whether they're protected. I, I think all of these things will progressively become a story about financial uh, well-being. And a question for both of you, it's the question that advisors always have on their minds. As platform land evolves in, in the years ahead, will we continue to see downward pressure on platform fees across the whole market? Ben, what, what are your thoughts uh, on that? Yes. I, d- I don't think it will, I mean, people were predicting, you know, down to 10 bips average for, for many years. It's, it's nowhere near that still. Um, I think you can probably operate it around that, but certainly not charge that to the client. So yes, I think there'll be downward pressure. Um, as Mark's already mentioned, you know, the, the use of technology to bring some of that cost down is, is where a lot of it will come. The advisor charge sh- should therefore theoretically be able to fall a bit because they're spending less time doing the administrative stuff, talking to their clients more, financial well-being, etc. Um, so I think, yes, over time, it, it will continue to come down through both, you know, g- general efficiencies, but the use of more technologies. Um, it's just, you know, the world evolves, not just in financial services. Mark, you mentioned what you see is the likelihood of further consolidation. Consolidation is not always the friend of uh, lower fees, but do you think in, in platform land we could have consolidation and lower fees side by side? 
Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I've, I've been pretty consistent in this. That the consolidation offers three opportunities. It offers the um, advisor the chance to be with a platform that has more money to invest in the underlying propositions and services, making their lives easier. It offers the opportunity to lower the charge to the end customer and therefore bringing the cost of dealing with an advisor in totality down. And it offers the opportunity for the owner of the platform to make a return that allows them to want to continue to remain in this market, providing underlying stability of supply to both the advisor and the customer. So I, th I think these things are inevitable. The price will fall. Uh, it has fallen. It will continue to fall. And certainly as the big get bigger, they will pass on some of the benefits of scale to their customer in, in a form of lower price. Mark, Ben, thank you very much for joining us this week on the FT Advisor podcast. Tune in next week for another edition. Thank you. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.